0: Well, good morning, Faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville in our venue as well. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17 is where our passage will be this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we've been in a series the last several weeks called The Grace Parade. Uh, we're looking at the, uh, the radical, amazing grace of Jesus Christ. And, and I would just tell you that, um, you know, as somebody that's studied the grace of God a lot, the more we look at it, the deeper we go, the more amazing it gets. Just when I think I've got this grace thing figured out, uh, God takes me to a whole new level of understanding and experiencing His grace. And so that's really what this series has been about. And so uh, uh, we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus specifically and seeing how it tends to attract the kind of people uh, that uh, you wouldn't necessarily uh, value, the beggars, the rejects, the outcasts. This is the grace parade That is Jesus' ministry. And so this morning that grace parade continues in Luke chapter 17. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word and look here at Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. Luke 17 verse 11 says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. They lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Would you pray with me? God, come talk to us. Come speak to us. In moments like this, when we come into Your Word, Your Spirit comes and does supernatural things in our life. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to receive Your Word today. Take us, oh God, take us deeper in grace. And I ask it All for the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. Judy was young, attractive, successful, and on a hot June night in Florida, found dead. stabbed seven times and strangled. Her story would have probably been forgotten along with her body had they not discovered a, a journal, a, a diary of sorts that uh, detailed the struggles that she had in her life. Her struggles weren't all that abnormal. She struggled with getting old and getting fat and getting married and getting by. But more than anything that she wrote about in her journal was the struggle of being alone. In one entry, she wrote, quote, where are the men with flowers and champagne and music? Where are the men who call and ask for a genuine date? Where are the men who would like to share more than just my bed? I would like for once in my life to know what it's like to be alone. Loved. Judy never did. In another one of her entries, she wrote, quote, I see people together and I'm so jealous I want to throw up. What about me? Who is going to love me? I'm so old, unloved, unwanted, abandoned, used up. I want to cry and sleep forever. Forever. As one Miami Herald reporter kind of defined her life as he covered the story, he described her life this way, quote, Judy's was a life that failed to connect. Surrounded by people yet living on an island, many acquaintances yet few friends, many lovers, 59 men in 56 months to be exact. But never finding love. They say she died from the wounds of a knife. I say she died from loneliness long before. As I thought about her story, I thought about those lyrics of the Beatles song that go like this Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name, but nobody came. Father McKenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave nobody was saved All the lonely people where do they come from all the lonely people where do they belong Come here faith family have you ever felt alone My guess is that at some point in your life, you have had that feeling of being alone. Maybe being abandoned as a child. Maybe it was that lonely walk in the night, the regretful morning, the forgotten birthday, the empty pews, the life after divorce. The silence of the nursing home. The phone that never rings. The date that never was. The future that will now never be. We were told as children, all alone, whether you like it or not, alone is something you'll be quite a lot. You say, Pastor, why so sad? Why would you start a sermon like this? Why do you want us feeling this kind of feeling at the beginning of a sermon? Here's why. Because it's exactly how 10 people in Luke 17 felt every day of their life. Verse 12 And as he entered the village, he was met by 10 lepers, underline this, who stood at a distance. This is Luke's way of saying theirs was a life that didn't connect. They lived alone. Total isolation from the world. You understand, my dear friends, if tax collectors were scum of the scum... Uh, Lepers were the rejects of all rejects. Nobody talked to them. Nobody associated with them. Nobody even wanted to look at them. Disgusting. And for heaven's sake, nobody wanted to touch them. All alone, whether they liked it or not, alone was something they were quite a lot. And my guess is, if you've studied the Bible at all, you understand why this is the case. Uh, Leprosy was a highly contagious skin disease, and anybody that was suspected of even having it had to go to the priest at the temple for to be inspected to see if they had the disease. And if it was found out that they did indeed have the disease of leprosy, here is what would have to happen according to the Old Testament law. Leviticus chapter 13 and verse 45 The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Now, everybody say this next phrase with me. He shall live alone. His dwelling, don't forget this, his dwelling shall be outside the camp in fact of the 61 defilements in the law leprosy was the second worst you say what was the first I'm glad you asked a corpse you're second only to a corpse why because you're not that far from being one feel it Ten lepers have been removed from their families. There's no more butterfly kisses with your little girl. There's no more throwing the football with your son. You're never going to be embraced by a loved one or a friend again. If people see you, they laugh, they mock, and they run the other direction. You're not allowed to even step foot anywhere near the temple. And for at least one of these chaps, he's got it even worse because he's a Samaritan. That means he's not only socially isolated, he is racially isolated. He is religiously isolated. Please, Faith Family, you've got to feel this. You've got to see this text from the perspective of the leper. I want you to imagine a life ignored. Avoided, distant, disgraced, rejected, unloved, unwelcomed, untouched, alone. And guess what? Every time, just in case you forgot your condition, every time somebody would walk by you, you got the pleasure of reminding yourself of this life sentence by announcing for them and the world, unclean, alone, alone. Whether they liked it or not, alone was something they were quite a lot. So what would one do if you were in a condition like this? Verse 13. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus! Master! Say the next phrase with me. Have mercy on us. What would you do if you were in a condition like that? Here's what you would do. Beg for mercy. You would plead for grace. You would be desperate. Why? You're out of options, dear friend. There is nothing you can do about your condition whatsoever. These individuals are beggars in need of grace. Come here, faith family. Does that sound familiar? Have you been sleeping through my sermons? How could anybody sleep through my sermons, all right? I don't know. It might sound something like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the beggar. Blessed is the bank. Blessed is the person who has absolutely nothing. Blessed is the person that's absolutely desperate for grace. What's your point? Here's my point. You and I have to understand that their physical condition, their physical condition is nothing more than a picture of our spiritual condition. You and I are lepers. My skin looks fine. You have to understand, dear friend, that the leprosy you and I have is a disease called sin. Let me show you How sin has done in your life the same thing leprosy has done in theirs. Number one, sin has isolated you from God just like leprosy. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, you were outside the camp. You were isolated from God. Your sin, my sin, separated us from God. Number two, Sin, just like leprosy, disfigures our life. Uh, It's why Romans chapter 8, the Bible says that we, like creation, are groaning, we're longing for the redemption of our what? Bodies. Does your body work the way it's supposed to work all the time? No. And if not, just wait till you get older. Sin has disfigured us in the same way that leprosy would would affect the nervous system and literally your your fingers would be rubbed down to nubs and and your skin would fall off in the same way sin has disfigured us. We say words we don't want to say. We do things we don't want to do. Our relationships are dysfunctional at best. If I could drop a theological term on you this morning, are you familiar with the doctrine of total depravity? Total depravity does not mean you're as bad as you can possibly be. It doesn't mean that we're all little Hitlers. Total depravity means you are totally affected by sin. Every part of us has been impacted by the disease called sin. One, it separated us from God. Two, it's disfigured our life. Three, sin, like leprosy, has no self-cure You can't stop by Walgreens on the way home today and pick up a prescription for it. You can't go to the doctor on Monday morning for a checkup to cure the sin disease. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Four, sin has spread everywhere. It's highly contagious, like it's all over the world. Uh, Romans 5, 12 says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, so death spread to all men, that is all mankind, because all sinned. Have you watched the news lately? Have you been to a funeral lately? Death, disease, destruction, it's everywhere. What are you seeing? You're seeing the spread of sin and death. And here's what it means, lastly, number five. If it is not addressed By the great physician, it is eternally terminal. It's why we learned just a few weeks ago, Jesus said these profound words as he's sitting at a table with sinners. I didn't come for the healthy, the righteous. I came for the sick. Lakeville venue, everybody right here, don't read this passage and have pity on them. Read this passage and say, I am them. But by the grace of God, we are spiritual lepers desperate for saving grace. Amen. Well, boy, have you come to the right place. Boy, have these lepers come to the right person. Look at verse 14. When when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let me first point out what Jesus is not doing. I think this is important to point out because this is what everybody else would have done. Jesus's response is not stranger danger, stranger danger. Get away from me, you sicko. ooh, gross. Don't touch me. They would have seen that a thousand times. That's what everybody in the community would have done to them. As soon as they saw them coming, they would have run the other way. Jesus, come here, come here, come here. Jesus talks to them. Don't miss the sweet grace in that. I wonder how long it's been since they'd had a normal conversation. I wonder how long it had been since anybody had actually even addressed or acknowledged who they were. And Jesus talks to them. Now we don't see it necessarily in this passage, but Luke gives us in other places something else that Jesus would do to those with leprosy. Look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, so the same condition. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, the same crying out for mercy. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And watch, Jesus stretched out his hand, say this next phrase with me, and touched him. Can you imagine What that felt like. Nobody's touched me in years. I have forgotten what hug feels like. And Jesus embraces him and says, I will be. Clean And immediately the leprosy left him. Get this imagery of grace in your mind. Jesus speaks to the kind of people that nobody else will speak to. Jesus associates with a person that nobody else will come close to. Jesus embraces a person that nobody will touch. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Hallelujah. How beautiful is that? Two things are obvious at this point that should be expressed. One is that the power of Jesus is seen in his ability to heal. Listen, faith family, ain't nobody do what Jesus do. Do you know who you're dealing with? Do you understand who this man is? That's in one part what Luke is trying to say. This is the one that calms the storms. This is the one that says demons out and they listen. This is the one that brings healing with a word and cleansing with a touch. Faith family, do you know who you're dealing with? He's not some bobblehead doll action figure. He is Messiah. He is Son of God. He has power over creation to subdue the creation. He is King of kings and Lord of lords demonstrated in his power to cleanse. Who are you dealing with? And that is in part what Luke is trying to show us. Who is this one who can calm the waves? Who is this one that can cleanse the leper? It's Jesus. But let us not stop there in seeing that his power is seen in his ability, but secondly, that his grace is seen in his willingness. Here's my point. It should not be overlooked that just because Jesus has the ability doesn't mean he has the obligation. He's not walking by and saying, my goodness, in light of your morality, I mean, you're one of the good lepers. So clearly, I'm obligated based on the life that you've lived to heal you. Jesus has no obligation like that whatsoever. He heals not just because he has the power to, he heals because he loves giving grace. The un. Obligated gift from a, the undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. Now, before we move on in the text, it should be noted that this is not absent from faith, is it? Uh, but we're back in Luke 17 if you're following along, all right? Um, when Jesus says, get up and show yourself to the priests," they've not been healed yet. Are you with me? In other words, Jesus is asking them to respond in faith, to to step up and move towards the temple where where they would be inspected. They don't understand why yet. They've not been healed yet. Uh, And they're getting up and saying, I don't understand what he's asking us to do. Because if we go to the temple and we've not been healed, we're going to be mocked again. We're going to be shamed again. We're going to be laughed at again. And somewhere along the way... gone. It's gone. Theirs was an act of faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Is this not a sweet picture of the gospel? In fact, I think this story really shows us the story of the gospel. Let me summarize it quickly. Notice it on the screen. First, you would see their condition. They're isolated and separated just like we are because of our sin. Then you notice their cry, have mercy on us, lepers. Have mercy on us, sinners. And then you see their cleansing, which is by grace through faith. <laughs> Don't you see? That's not their story. That's ours. That's ours. Let me give you a perspective. Y'all with me this morning? Lakeville venue, I know you are, right? Let me give you a perspective of church. Here's a perspective of church. Berean Baptist Church is a leper colony of those who've experienced the radical grace of Jesus. We're gathered here on a Sunday morning as ex-lepers, and the only reason we are ex-lepers is because of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave us grace that's church this is our story this is our song praising our savior all the day long it's a picture of the gospel and and so I would I would At this point, just stop and say, if you're here and you have never been cleansed, you have never been healed, you have never been forgiven of your sin, would you today admit your condition and cry out and say, have mercy on me, a sinner? And I will tell you this, though he is unobligated to do so, he will save I could let you go home but the text isn't finished. (laughs) What we see next is the response of all this grace. The condition that they're in, they cry out for mercy and by grace through faith they are cleansed but then watch the response in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Now, is this not the response that you would expect? Hello? Wouldn't you expect gratitude to follow grace? I mean, just think about how their life has changed. No more isolation, no more leopard jokes, now reconciled with family and friends. They have, in the truest of sense, a new life. And this is the response that you would expect, a response of gratitude. Let me give you an illustration of this that I think summarizes this so well. It's a, a, a story that happened in Brennan Manning's life. Don't be nervous. I don't agree with everything that Brennan Manning writes but I think he gets grace right. I like what he says about grace. He talks about a time when he was uh, speaking at a conference in Louisiana and after the conference somebody that he'd never met walked up to him and gave him a check for $6,000. Now, I don't know if I've met everybody here today, but that's a great idea. (laughs) Just kind of throwing that just It's totally for free. Anyways, Brennan realized that two weeks earlier, he had met a man in Juarez, Mexico that had 10 children, three of which had died because his family lived in a trash heap there in Juarez, Mexico. Brennan thought the best thing to do is to send all $6,000 to that man, and that's what he did. Brennan then says that, let's, get this, within two days, two days, the man had written him nine letters explaining how the money was being used to help his family and help his neighbors. And it was out of that that Brennan writes this quote, When a man receives a gift of grace, he first experiences, then expresses genuine gratitude. Having nothing, he appreciates the slightest gift. As Christians, the deeper we grow in Christ, the more we realize everything in life is a gift. Amen? The song of our lives becomes one of humble and joyful thanksgiving awareness of our poverty causes us to rejoice in the gift of being called out of darkness and into light and being transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. In other words, the right response to grace is gratitude, which is what... Makes the next two verses so shocking. Look at it. Then Jesus answered, verse 17, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? There were ten of you, right? Th- then why is there only one that returned? Do you understand the profound impact that that ought to have in our lives? Lakeville venue, everybody right here, there is a 90% likelihood that you think you understand grace when you don't. There is a 90% likelihood that you think you're grateful when you're not. That's alarming. I didn't get a PhD in math, but I think 90% is most of us, all right? You figure it out, all right? Of the 10, only one gets it, which causes me to ask the question of the text, is there something potentially in those nine? Could there potentially be something in me that would cause me to miss it? And there are three things that you need to be very, very careful of. Number one, a feeling of entitlement. What what was that? Preach, preacher? I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere. You know, something clicked this week as I was studying this passage, um, and it's called the verses right before it. It's always helpful. When you're, anyways. Um, so I went back and I was reading what was going on in the narrative leading up to this story. What was the story before the story? And the light bulb went off. Let me show it to you, verse 7. Luke 17, verse 7. Well, any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he's coming from the field, will come at once and recline at table. No, would He not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you will eat and drink? That's the, that's the normal thing, that's the understanding of the way it worked in, a, in the ancient Near Eastern household. Verse 9, does He thank the servant because He did what He was commanded? Verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. In other words, what's the story right before the story? The story right before the story is this. Somebody has done what they're supposed to do, but's expecting more than they deserve. Follow that with another story about nine lepers that get more than they deserve and are nowhere to be found. Light bulb? Could it be that you're not grateful because you've started expecting grace? Could it be that one of the downsides of preaching a sermon series on grace is you'll start thinking that you should get it? And what have I said a thousand times? The moment that you expect grace is the moment you don't understand grace. Be very cautious about a mindset of mentality because it will rob you of gratitude, number two: the trap of idolatry, the trap of idolatry. Here's where I get this. Think of this imagery. Nine, oh, I feel like you're with me. This is fun, right? Nine are going to the temple. One is going to Jesus. Nine, listen, nine got what they wanted from Jesus. One wants Jesus. Nine of them would say, the greatest day of my life is when I got healed. Do you know why? I got my family back. I got my job back. Me and my buddies We hung out that night. It was the greatest day of my life. But one will say the greatest day of my life is when I got Jesus. Be careful when you're giving praise reports because the first thing out of your mouth may very well be your God. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for Jesus I'm thankful for my health is the nine I'm thankful for my family is the nine I'm thankful ultimately for Jesus is the one And it's interesting in verse 19, the language Jesus uses, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The actual word there is the word used for saved. Your faith has made you saved. It's not the same word used for cleansed previously in the verses. In other words, as one preacher said right here, faith family, nine got healed, only one got saved. You see, everybody experiences God's common grace, but not everybody experiences God's saving grace because God's saving grace is about the person of Jesus Christ not getting your family back. Lastly, what could be in the nine that could be in me that could cause me not to be grateful? Entitlement is one idolatry is two, and then lastly, what I call the danger of assumption. If, if you ask the nine, are you grateful? What do you think they'd say? You really think they're going to say, I sure wish I had my leprosy back. I miss that. I miss those days. You know, being laughed at, mocked outside the city. gosh, if I could only go back to leprosy. Of course not. They're going to say, oh, "We're grateful. Of course I'm grateful. My life has been changed. Listen, they would say, I'm grateful. Jesus would say, then where are you? In other words, you can feel grateful, you can appear grateful, but your not grateful until you have expressed it to Jesus Christ in praise and worship of him. Write it down, faith family. Unexpressed gratitude is functional in gratitude. You say, oh, pastor, you understand? I'm thankful for Jesus. Then where's your song? We don't really like the music. Who gives a rip? <laughs> where's your song? Oh, I'm grateful. Then where's your prayers? You haven't talked to him in days. Oh, but I'm grateful. Oh, Pastor, Anderson, I'm grateful to God. Then where are you? Faith family, I love you, but as your pastor, I say this to you today. Stop assuming that you're grateful to Jesus And get on your face before Jesus. Stop writing checks with your mouth. Your heart can't cash. Because I don't care how much you say you're grateful. If you're not found at the feet of Jesus expressing it. Where are you? Don't assume it. Do it. Be found today at the feet of Jesus, absolutely overwhelmed by who He is and what He's done in your life. You say, how? 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 Run to the Gospel. As seen in this passage their condition, their cry, their cleansing. In other words, when you live daily in the gospel, you walk daily in gratitude. Write that down, that's good, all right? When you live daily in the gospel, you walk daily in gratitude. Why? Because in the gospel we are constantly aware of how undeserving we are and how gracious He is, amen? Please, please. Don't let it be found today that we are one of the nine. Assuming gratitude. Could we be the one that just runs to Him today? Absolutely overwhelmed at His grace in our life. I'll close with this. I was a little boy He went to the pet store to get a puppy. He looked through each one, examined them carefully, and found the one he wanted. He starts to leave, and the owner of the store said, young man, uh, you may want to get that puppy because puppies like that don't tend to last very long. You better get it while you can. He said, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, He'll be here when I get back. A few days later, the little boy came back and he paid the store owner his money and sure enough, there was the puppy that he wanted. He grabbed him and was heading out the store and The store owner stopped him and he said, young man, you don't want that one. He's limp. He'll never run with you. He'll never play fetch with you. Why don't you get one of the healthy ones? And the little boy said, that's okay. This is exactly the kind of puppy I've always wanted. And as he walked out the store, the store owner looked at him and noticed that coming out from his pants leg was a brace for his crippled leg. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Why are lepers a part of the grace parade. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus identifies with what it's like to be taken outside the city. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected by everybody. Because Jesus knows what it's like to be all alone. And that's why he gives grace to lepers like me. And all God's people said, pray with me. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. God, that's the song of our heart this morning. And if there is somebody here today who has never looked to Jesus and cried out like those lepers cried out, God have mercy on me. Help. Save. I pray that today would be that day when they would look by faith to Jesus and be cleansed and be given new life in Christ. Others of us in this room, if we were asked, are we grateful, we'd say yes. The problem is we're nowhere to be found. We got no song in our heart. We we got no communion with Jesus. and we think we're grateful. All the while Jesus is asking, then where are you? Come today, now. Worship, praise, give glory, be overwhelmed by grace, you lepers. See who he is, see what he's done. And may our hearts not be able to contain it. Though everybody go to the temple, today we're going to Jesus. And we will fall on our face in praise to the one with the power to heal and the one who had the grace to heal our lives forever. May it be right now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.